rabbit hole approaching. And learning the attachment to that. Good morning and good afternoon or good night wherever you are ladies and welcome to the Queen Keys podcast with Jess Cutting. Today I am joined by a very special guest who is also known as the Fitness Fairy. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Hi Jess, thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, yeah, Fitness Fairy I think describes me quite well, um, quite fully expressed in that um, I have been a professional athlete um, and a fitness professional and now I've moved into more health coaching and body image coaching. So obviously going from being an athlete at the competitive level, very dedicated to your craft, what has prompted the transition into health coaching? Um, probably the detrimental effect that competing had on my body and my mental, mental state, um, how I could be so deep in mental illness and not be recognized in the industry, um, as being sick, um, just being so normalized. And I think that's, that's really going through the process of recovery and knowing that it's all been something that could have been prevented if someone in the industry did know of it um, has prompted me to kind of be like, nope, I need to be on the support side now. I need to um, help these people get through this because it's not okay and it shouldn't be normalized. Absolutely. Like, I mean, as somebody that has been in the fitness industry and I've had conversations with you about this myself, I think that, you know, there was a level of being able to hide um, what was going on because it is somewhat normalized behavior. Um, what was your turning point when you acknowledged that this wasn't something that you were committed to moving forward? Um, so it was a long, it was a long process. I mean, I was competing for five years, um, and yeah, the the turning point for me was the latest comp that I had. Um, I I just get got to the worst depths that I'd ever been mentally, um, and just place this extremely ridiculous um, needs for myself to overachieve and to go above and beyond what's actually normal and normal behavior. So um, getting to that, getting to that point and actually still not realizing um, until like three or four months post comp that I was really struggling and there was no one around. Um, there was no one around for support. So um, the the turning, I suppose there was a couple of key turning points for me. And the first one uh, was uh, another fitness professional kind of said to me, he's like, I, I don't think you realize how lean you are. And how like because I thought oh it's been four months post-comp surely I would be back up to 10% body fat but 
um, he was like, no, I think you really need to get a DEXA scan and, and find out ag- actually how lean you are. And when I did the DEXA scan and it came back with 6% body fat after, uh, I think it was like maybe five months after comp. So um, obviously with, uh, with my competing, I was in the figure division and um, it was expected to be about five or 6% of body fat on stage, but you're expected to stay there for about two weeks and not, <laughs> not six months or whatever it was. Um, so having that DEXA scan was a major milestone um, that kind of just cemented that I was still sick and I really needed to take some action on making steps to recover and not keep not keep letting myself sabotage myself by giving into the same silly behaviors that were keeping this going and keeping this constantly fueled um this illness and um so and that so that would be the first turning point and the second turning point was um the same actually the same fitness professional said to me um you know, you need to, you need to examine your hormones, um, and where you are as a female, because currently you're not anything. You're not a female. You're, you're too lean to sustain other life. You're too lean to, to reproduce. And, um, and so he said, okay, go to see this, um, uh, hormone specialist at like fertility she does fertility and hormones and all that kind of stuff and um I did the testing with her and I kind of just didn't think anything of it I'm like yep that's cool I've just I've done the test whatever it'll come back it'll be it'll be like I don't really care because at that point I was still so lean that my energy was not directed towards any emotion concern or anything like that. So I was just, um, careless essentially. Um, I had no care. I couldn't care less literally. Um, and when the test came back, it was like maybe two weeks later and she'd called me and, um, I literally didn't think anything of it. I was like, Oh, yeah, whatever. I don't know what this means. Like, I don't know where she's calling me. I don't like whatever. It's probably just nothing. And like, I had no capacity to even consider that it might be something bad. And, um, then when I got to the waiting room, uh, like when I got to the specialist and when she called out my name and then sat me down in the, in the office and in the, in her treatment room, she goes, it's not, it's, it's not looking good. And immediately I was like, what's not looking like I had just had freaking no idea. And she was like, you are so lean. You cannot like, you cannot sustain life. And we've looked at your fertility markers and it should be like your egg production count should be like, uh, I think it was like a, between 40 and 80 or 30 and 80. And, um, she said, uh, yours is, uh, four, four (laughs) that. And then I was like, Oh, 
oh shit, like all this competing, all this nonsense, all this rubbish and all this no care for being a female or having the ability to reproduce. And I, I was 29 at the time. I was like, how can this be? Um, but that was the second turning point. Cause it was like, okay, well, if I do not get better, this will not ever improve. She said, you know, even if you do, uh, even if you do get better, you, it might improve slightly, but it's, it might stay the same. And to be honest, to be given that information, like, okay, this is it for you. Like you might not ever have the chance to reproduce. That kind of was like, okay, shit. I really need to get better now. I need to, whatever it takes, I need to just lean in, do any of the work, all of it, all of the inner work, all of the, any, anything, anything holistic, anything alternative, um, because the, what I found with the clinical physicians in this case, um, there was barely any like anorexia specialists or overactivity specialists because, um, in my case, I was suffering from anorexia, but also overactivity obsession. Like, and because of that professional athlete standard that I'd placed on myself, I was doing the absolute most ridiculous shit that I could possibly do. And so when I, when I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to get psychological help. I kind of was like, okay, well, I need to see someone that will actually give me strategies I will actually listen to because if they're going to give me like, uh, you know, this, this is a generalized version. I'm like, no, I need like, I need a specific thing because I'm a like athlete level, absolutely obsessed. Like it is a different mindset altogether than what a regular person suffering I'm not saying that there's any difference in terms of that their illnesses are, you know, everybody suffers and everyone suffers from something different. But in terms of overcoming my mindset, it needed to be someone that absolutely matched the level that I was at. So I found someone and she was like, uh, I could see her in three months time. So this was July. So I could see her in September. Um, and so in, t in that time I made sure that I just did a lot of it, like anything alternative that I could do, anything holistic, any, anything that was, um, anything that I could do that was just a little bit, little steps forward every single day, every single week to make changes rather than relying on the clinical physician that wasn't available for three months. And like when I did see her, um, the next appointment was like, I think it was, she's like, oh, I'm not available for another eight weeks. I got back there in eight weeks time and I'd done so much work on myself. She goes, what the hell? Like, how did you transform? You've basically transformed yourself. How did you do this? And I was like, what was I supposed to do? I had eight weeks. Like, three little tiny strategies that you gave me eight weeks ago is not going to cut it. Like I could have been on my deathbed. I could have died like in that time. And all that, 
you know, you gave me was three little things. Like I, I needed to do more work. So, um, I just, I just did a lot, a lot of my own. So, um, yeah, sorry, that was a roundabout way to answer your question. No, that was perfect. Um, I did have a question that comes through from Chanel around the DEXA scan. Um, mm. Where did you, I, I mean, from my perspective, I know there's a number of places, but where did you actually go to seek out around your scan, getting your scan done? Um, so DEXA scans is uh, available at most like Q scans or most x-ray facilities. Um, some do specify that they have it as an offering and some don't. Um, it's just, a, it's a, what do they call it? It's, it's, measures bone density, muscle mass, everything. You lie down, it scans you, you know, DEXA scans. So um, yeah, it was just, it was, it, and it was very interesting um, in terms of the, um, sorry, I'm going a little bit off topic again. DEXA scan, that's, um, so I got one at the end of 2018 and then I got one when I was really sick um, in 2019 and because of my epigenetic expression being a connector and actually being able to hold muscle cell volumization, um, in that time, I if I was any other epigenetic expression, I would have lost muscle and fat. But between those two scans, I lost zero grams of muscles, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah. I was like, wow. So it just, just goes to show you how important um, your makeup is. And I feel like I've been gifted with this particular unique body to go through that and be able to come out the other side and be able to help others. Mm. Yeah. I hear you in that. It's um, like, obviously you're aware of my history having gone through eating disorder and it's, there was a couple of points that I wanted to touch on just around, I guess when you first arrived at the idea of being sick. Like I remember when I first had confrontational conversations with people, people actually expression, expressing concern. I initially went into a bit of a state of defensive denial. It was like, oh, they don't get it. I'm just being mm. healthy. Mm -hmm. mm. So were there conversations in the lead up to this person, this other fitness professional approaching you or what was? Um... Well, he wasn't the one that said anorexia as specifically, and it was actually a psychologist that was like, okay, you've got this. Um, but it was also the overactivity obsession as well. So the, that piece as well that worked into it. Um, but I think, I think it was like, um, it would have been like late June that I like, I, I found some video logs that I did on that. Um, and I literally admitted to the video log. I'm like, okay, it's actually a word. It's actually a thing. I, yeah, I was like you in denial and because it's so normalized in the industry and having muscle cells to accompany my look 
just cemented it. It was just like, oh, no one, no one knew. No one knew. No one was concerned. No one cared. They just were like, oh, when's your next comp? You're looking really lean. You look amazing, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, little did they know that I was really suffering inside. And um, yeah, like my my clients didn't know. Um, I was able to cover it up quite well because it was winter. So I was able to wear like three layers and they didn't even notice. Um, when it did come out, um, I didn't even actually announce it probably until I think it was um, I officially made statements about it. It was like uh, November last year. And when I came out, my clients were like, like how we didn't even know and yeah you just hide it so well because no one needs to know this struggle that you're going through or no one needs to know no one needs to be burdened by this no one needs to this and that and no one needs to support me I'll do it all on my own blah 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 and um that's that's all rubbish. <laughs> that's why I'm. That's why I'm so passionate about it now, and talking about it, and making it real. Because so many people think that they are a burden, or they think that all this other surface level conditioning is what is getting them to that to that point where they where they don't want to talk about it, where they don't want to acknowledge what they have. And, and that's what we went through as well. Like we went through that whole thing and not admitting, not knowing, not giving it a name. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't give it a name. Um, and yeah, being in denial because essentially, yeah, that's, that's what we do to get out of it. I actually hid in a fashion major design degree for a while at the depths of my sickness because mm. being that lean was normalized. I was a sample mm. size. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, sorry. What are you going to say? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I'm absolutely agreeing with you. hundred mm. percent. So obviously uh, our, this conversation for me is very near and dear to my heart, um, being that I have been also in the fitness industry and I really respect you standing up to make a, a change for the standards that are accepted um, across the industry, not just in the bodybuilding community. So I guess what is your, your driving force? Like if you had to put it into a sentence or a statement, what would you say is your vision for what you're wanting to create? Um, just, uh, I think the main thing is what drives me is being that pillar of heart centered support for anyone that is struggling and to know that they don't have to go it alone and they don't have to be in denial and they don't have to do all the things that society and conditioning is telling them to do because it's a lot deeper and it's, it's in, in them. The healing is in them. So getting them to that place where they can heal and supporting them in that is just what I want to see. I want to see all of the, um, 
the mental illness and the eating disorders and the overactivity obsession, I, I just want to see that in the spotlight. And so people know and are aware and don't get sucked into the, the patterns of behavior. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, you know, yeah, so required. Um, so shifting from, I guess, you know, the, I am absolutely assuming this, but there would have been, I guess, a level of self-dialogue and correct me if I'm wrong, there would have been a level of self-dialogue around the idea of dedication to your sport at this point. Can you talk to me a little bit more around, I guess, what your perspective is now around sport versus health? Um, I think hmm, that's a really tough one for me because I can't say in hindsight what I would say um, about whether the two interconnect anymore for me um, because being dedicated can be obsessed. And taking that motivation to that extreme can be like, it's, it's an obsession. It's an addiction. So yes, it can be healthy, but I think the way that it needs to be approached is that by all coaches, they need to address that post comp phase a lot better um, and also having that holistic idea at, of centering and actually really listening to your body. Um, and I think there is a whole level that is totally ignorant to that right now in the industry. Um, so if the coaches in the future have the comp preps designed in a way that allows for people to connect back with their body and actually communicate, okay, this doesn't feel good or this doesn't feel right. I think that really links back to, um, that also links back to um, when I had um, a hernia, an umbilical hernia, and um, I just kept competing because I didn't, I was in denial. I wasn't listening to my body at all. Um, the stage was more important and um, I, I could have died from that as well. Like that's your intestine coming out of your belly button. If you burst, you're dead. And um I, I went on for years in denial about that, and um, and the co- the coaching the coach that I had, I I won't go into details because it's not his, uh, it has nothing to do with him, um, but it was me not listening to my body and not hearing the signals. It was screaming out. It was like, okay, I'm going to make you extremely bloated every day. I'm going to make this comp up really hard for you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, but the way to go forward for sport to be dedicated in a healthy way is to acknowledge that body connection. And I think that is not done right now. So the body connection, also the mindset connection, also the, the spiritual connection as well. So like the mindfulness and meditation, I think is really important. I think a lot of people don't do that. Um, I know myself, I'd be like, if I was depleted, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't go to meditation. I would go to, um, 
a motivational podcast or motivational music or like really masculine shit. Sorry for swearing anyway. <laughs> no, you're um, <laughs> Yeah. So I would go to a lot of masculine things and I had no idea how to honor my feminine at all. Like, and I think that's really important too, um, is, uh, people that want to compete is doing it for the right reasons and being on that page with their body and their mind to be able to compete. So I do feel like my mindset was in it, like everything was in it, but the way that it was managed and handled was, uh, was not holistic on any level. And I think that the way going forward, the healthy way of competing and the fitness industry is to examine all parts of it. Mm. Absolutely. I think, you know, there is so much to be said for the idea that, you know, nothing's insular. Like, you know, Mm. when you're putting yourself in the position where you're pushing your body to those limits, it, it does absolutely make sense to be able to support yourself in other ways um which Mm. and i can relate like you know that's always been i guess when i was prepping and pushing myself it it is it's very much going into that extreme masculine yeah so Mm. but but you know what if what if you could compete and actually just trust and surrender so much to how your body will do and manifest the way that you can evolve your body in that preparation rather than being like, okay, I have to do X, Y, Z amount of cardio and I have to do this and I have to do that. Instead of being like that, it's like, no, actually let's just like practice visualization and all the cells and all of that kind of stuff. It's so much deeper and it's on such a cellular level as well. And it's just, yeah, like you said, it's just so masculine the way that preps are done. Mm. So spirituality is something that I've noticed has been a bit of a common thread for you in terms of your healing and your recovery up to this point. Uh, has spirituality always been something that's kind of gone on in the background for you or is it something more of an awakening since your, your illness? Um, yeah, actually. So I was involved. Um, my first taste of spirituality, um, was in Kirtan meditation. I don't know if you've heard of that. No. Uh, it's, it's mantra singing. And, um, so I was doing that when I, not long after I, I would have been August, 2018. Um, so not long after I moved to the Gold Coast, um, I moved to the Gold Coast in June, 2018. So August, 2018, I started going to, um, these mantra meditations singing. And that, that was my first taste of this, like, meditation that I really could connect with because like I'd had apps in the past and I just deleted them and I got distracted and I went on social media and like having something on my app was just, just not, not good for me. Um, and so this mantra singing, you had to close your eyes and you actually had to sing and be part of the mantras and the harmonies and everything flowed through your body. So it was just like this completely, you had to leave your phone at the door, like, 
you had to take your shoes off and like all this stuff. It and it just like places you in that meditation state. And that was my first taste. And I was actually hooked. I was also obsessed with that. And that to a point where I was actually using that as a um as a mechanism for not eating. So that's another story. But um because it was like um, you had to travel to the location, spend a couple of hours there and then drive back. It was a good little stall for food, not having, not, not having to have the food for a certain amount of hours. So, um, but yeah, that was my first taste. So I was obsessed with that, um, meditation, which was really nice. Um, I actually didn't know, um, I wasn't like awake or anything like that. Um, until I think it was was a psychic that told me, would you believe it was hilarious? So it was, um, it was June, 2019. So I was sick at the time and she could, she knew that I was sick too. And, um, she was like, yeah, you know, you're not from here. (laughs) And I was like, I <laughs> what do you mean? And then that just like spiraled everything and everything changed from that exact moment. So um and I think it was like Kingscliff Wolves Club or something, psychic fair. <laughs> Never know when it's gonna land. <laughs> Oh, and she is something, something like star seed or something. And I was like, what does this all mean? <laughs> uh, and then, um, yeah, it's just been a constant journey of exploring different things. Like I really, um, I found like sound healing helped. I went to a number of different like yoga retreats and different like energy retreats. I did my Reiki. Um, I started learning about energy movement and all that kind of stuff. Like actually I did my Reiki, um, before that too, I did my Reiki in January, 2019. And, like I was really aware that I had this energy and spirit, like spiritual um, connection and that Reiki was really helpful. But then I went into corporate for Arnold. So that went by the wayside. I stopped doing that, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, it was, yeah. So um, ever since then, I kind of like, when I realized that I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's, that's fine. I've got this like energy, Bob, I don't know. Uh, but just never explored it until after, um, June. So, uh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just a number of different alternative, um, therapies. Yeah. Sound healing, did you do sound healing crystal bowls? Um, went and saw a few different healers, um, became connected with quite a few of them that then ran retreats and things like that, that I went to, um, and, and yoga and things like that. I, I wasn't super involved with yoga though. Um, I do because I was still so much in the bodybuilding scene and training so much. Like I, always was like oh yoga that's not burning any calories I won't bother with that (laughs) in hindsight I'm like oh I wish I did more yoga (laughs) 
I guess I did have a little bit of an ulterior motive talking about the spirituality route. Like I was just thinking about how I personally was fascinated about how that um, parallel of your spiritual growth alongside your recovery was just so perfect and synergy. Um, and I guess I just wanted to circle that back because I understand that some of my listeners may not be into spirituality. Mm. However, yeah. what I would invite yeah. you, if you're not somebody that's going to go to psychic fairs and do uh, didgeridoo sound healings, is just <laughs> even finding some <laughs> some way of peace and calm. Like I think mm. that that in and of itself, if you're not willing to really take that next step and, and regardless of what your purpose is, whether or not it is, you know, to to heal others, like what Jackie's mission is now to assist others to heal. Um, I think it's just such a, a perfect way to access parts of yourself. Yeah. And the more fully you can show up in who you are, regardless of what your purpose is, you're going to be a lot more aligned, a lot more connected and a lot more vibrant and a lot more alive by feeling those parts and feeding those parts of yourself. So that was yeah. my little tangent, just because I sort of thought, like, mm. you know, I realised I asked that question purely out of self-interest. No, 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 that's okay. Um, no, I think I think you're right. Um, is uh, pulling it back around to people that are um, not so woo-woo. <laughs> um, like I said, my first my first taste and my first steps was meditation, and actually recognizing parts of myself this is before anything else is that meditation piece and also like breath work and actually just discovering about chakras and how they work in your body that was one of the first things i did as well so um i think they were they were th they're three of the things that i would say like meditation chakras and breathing they're pretty 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 standard you don't have to be super woo-woo for that <laughs> absolutely i think they're very accessible for most people so yeah thank you for bringing absolutely. that absolutely yeah 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 so speaking to my journey with my recovery i can't say it was linear like i can't say that it's when i sort of decided like you know things need to change for me and mine was very much around my sister actually having a breakdown when she was talking to me and it was that point of sort of realizing that you know I'm putting the people around me through pain and that was where I sort of tried to shift um so do you have um sort of set rituals habits or routines that keep you in check now um not really it's just like taking each day as it comes i mean i'm still faced with triggers every single day um but um it's just acknowledging yourself and actually forgiving yourself and knowing that it's okay to still face triggers but that you're taking steps each day and you're leaning in and you're going and the more that you lean in, even if it's just a little bit, that's where the change happens. That's where the transformation happens. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not linear. Like you said, it's just steps every single day. And yes, there will still be triggers like, um, 
I still have triggers with um, carrots instead of chocolate. I actually want chocolate, but I'll have a carrot because I want chocolate. <laughs> um, and it's just, yeah, it's just the little things. But then when in hindsight, I'm like, okay, well, carrots actually, um, you know, it's, it's an orange, uh, it's an orange vegetable. Um, that would have been to me like eight months ago, I, I would have looked at a carrot and be like, that's a carrot a lid vegetable that's got calories no i would go for the green beans instead i will go for the green um snow peas i will go for celery or i'll go for something that's green because it's guilt-free associated so um at least looking at it and being like okay well it's not chocolate but it's still carrot it's still more substantial than what i would have gone to in the past so acknowledging yourself and and giving yourself a pat on the back there i think is really important but also um like you said um connecting with people that you've left like that you've not not so much hurt but like i know that i heard a number of not i wouldn't say hurt um but i know that you know, my family were really distraught about me. They knew I was sick um, and really they couldn't do anything to help me. I'd had to come for myself. And, um, but I also know that I was so sick that I had no energy to even notice that I was putting strains on those relationships. Like I wasn't investing in them. And my parents knew that. They're like, oh yeah, it was like, talking to like a tree like you couldn't you couldn't get anything out of you they're like oh we just we just made sure you had your celery and you had your lettuce and all that kind of stuff and um you know in hindsight I'm like I they're just so proud of where I am at now and you know when I when I can when pre pre-covid um I think I went on a, a lunch with them and I ate everything in the lunch plate. It was like fish and chips or something. And they were just so happy and um, that I ate all of it and I wasn't concerned. I wasn't guilty and they could just see the change in me. And I think that also really inspired them too. Um, and so I think that people that you think that you're a burden to, or you think that you've had they will actually be so happy to see where you're at when you're when you're recovered and um even and that day that I had fish and chips with them I remember that um uh that was the day that I told them I'm like I I don't have ties to the to being a PT anymore like I want to be helping these 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 women these people that are in the fitness industry that are going through this and they were just like oh my god that's amazing yeah is exactly what you should be doing and to hear that from them was just like because I had so many stories I was like oh they're going to be like oh um, when are you going back to your job? What's this like? What, like you, you can't do coaching, like you can't do this or you can't do that. Um, that's not real or that's not your uni degree or whatever. And, um, but yeah, no, they were absolutely, I was like, how did this even happen? But it was because I was so, they, they just knew exactly what I needed to be doing. And they just said, yeah, a hundred percent. That's what you need to be doing. So 
had their support always and they've seen me through the depths of everything and yeah just yeah so, so that powerful was a tangent <laughs> that was a little bit of a tangent but yeah no, I love it. And I think, you know, there is so much to be said for the idea. And uh, this is actually your, your partner that said this the other day was um, Cody McAuliffe, for those of you that haven't made that connection yet. I uh, was talking about the idea of your struggle becoming your strength and your pain becoming your power. And I absolutely see that in your journey, like, you know, the unique perspective and empathy you'll be able to bring to people working with you is, is absolutely huge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah the people that I touch currently like current clients and things like that just having that accountability and the little strategies that I give them based on everything that I've been through that they they're coming along in leaps and bounds just because they have that support and just because they know that there's someone that they can talk to about it that has been through that and is in the industry um so I think that's really really good connection as well Mm. so coming back to the struggle and strength piece has there been a situation or circumstance you've been in on in your recovery that I guess has stretched you the most Mm, I think I would definitely say um, not having to I think the worst part for me or the the most the most struggle part for me was relinquishing the surrender and control around movement. I think that was the most challenging thing is actually being okay with stillness. I think that was the biggest struggle for me is like not having to get up and quickly go out the door walking for six hours like I have to be moving have to do this have to do that um it was actually the struggle coming to that place of like surrendering to stillness and not having to actually do anything and knowing that nothing bad is going to happen as a result Mm. I hear that I remember the first time I ever ate a meal that I didn't know the calories of after my recovery and I remember just crying like the idea that the roof didn't cave in. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the peace, the the ease, the mind at ease peace. Absolutely. I I have a, a set of questions that I kind of use as a loose framework which you're aware of because I sent them through to you. I also realized that I didn't edit out a, a point that I'd meant mentioned with Elizabeth. So sorry about that. You are not yet a mum. Um <laughs> but <laughs> Um, what I wanted to I'd come like back to be. To... <laughs> I said yes. <laughs> I hope. Well, Cody is not listening to this right now, but. <laughs> oh, well, you know, this will be the test, Jackie. We'll see whether or not he listens to my podcast or not. <laughs> oh yeah, yep, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mentioned my questions because this is one of my favorite questions. Um, I love the idea, like obviously, uh, in society, we kind of get conditioned around the idea of, of failure and that it's a bad thing, but failure, you know, as Tony Robbins says, there's no failure, only feedback. Has there been a favorite failure? So something you perceived at a failure at a time that's actually been a sort of a redirection for you. It's actually probably the most recent thing is, um, 
not having access to the fitness industry anymore, like physical personal training. I think that's enabled me to fully relinquish that need to still be in that industry um, or need to be a trainer. Um, so I still want to be in the industry, but in a different way. And I think that has fully redirected me to what I need to be doing now. So, yeah. And, and I think the whole um, uh, linking it all back to epigenetics and how, um, how, how I was able to um, not transcend a lot of behaviors that were present in my illness just by understanding my epigenetic expression better. Um, that enabled me to do a lot. So being able to give those pointers on to people as well that are sh like they are suffering to help them recover. Um, so something like um, myself as a connector, I need to eat with people. And actually that's, that was one of my themes that I had to lean into in order to transcend the behavior of skipping a meal because it was like, okay, no, I have, I have to eat because I'm meeting with X, Y, Z or do you know what I mean? Like I was able to transcend those bad behavior patterns because I knew what I actually required and what my body needed and what my mind needed as well and what priorities I had for myself. Mm. Absolutely. I think that's something so powerful around knowing your epigenetic expression is that idea of obviously we've got the conditioning and the things that we forced ourselves to be comfortable with um, mm. or get accustomed to, and then what we're actually desiring and craving at a subconscious level. And being able to have a tool to actually access that, I think is, you know, obviously amazing instrument, like, you know, amazing instrument to have, like as you've witnessed in your recovery. Yeah. So what has been the biggest game changer for you in the last 12 months outside of epigenetics? <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest game changer? Um, probably Cody. <laughs> Don't tell him. Uh, no. Um, yeah, he's just like enabled me, like, well, not enabled me, but... Um, introduced me to this whole level of growth that I didn't think was possible for myself. And, um, yeah, like, I mean, he doesn't coach me. Um, and I have other coaches, um, but yeah, just knowing what he's willing to step into, I think has just allowed me to do the same and just be willing to go all in and lean in wherever possible to face my triggers head on and to, to change everything that I thought was holding me back, um, essentially. Mm. I love that. And like connector or not, I think there's so much power in the people that you surround yourself with. Absolutely. Mm. And inadvertently, I guess I want to make that as a aside for people that are listening, the idea that you can be the change for other people too. Yeah. So Yeah that I think in and of itself is potent. Mm. So what's been your biggest unlearning to get to this point? Mm, biggest unlearning. Um, that would definitely be, 
Um, the unlearning of calorie control. Talk to me I more think because um, in an in the depths of illness, calories in, calories out controls your life, and unlearning that need to be controlled by that has set me free in a way. And um, actually, it's really funny because sometimes I do still. Uh, will track occasionally just to see that I'm on track and I'm eating enough. Um, but like things will be like, uh, they'll have like a certain number, like two, two, two or three, one, five or whatever. And I, I just find it hilarious that like the way we can look at calories is like a game and mm. you know, how, how, how much control is this just, this game it's just a game it's just numbers mm. so unlearning unlearning the attachment to that unlearning the attachment to that control mm. Mm. for me it was almost like a sort of a pass fail kind of situation you know with with calorie counting and being being in my macros being in my range it was very much you know my self-worth would be boosted if I had hit mm. a certain number and then, uh, you know, the days where you would be out of spec, you know, it was days where you would feel less, less of a person. <laughs> yep. Yep. I would definitely do the whole, um, uh, good job in my head. Like you've, you've burnt X, Y, Z amount of calories and only eaten X, Y, Z amount of calories. So, um, that, complete deserve and reward all the time all the way all the time just like yep i've been bang on with my macros like or not had enough that's great next the next day that's cool i'll just go to bed a little bit hungrier and like that'll be great my stomach's eating itself oh wow there's so many things that <laughs> just go on in that internal dialogue it's just disgusting but anyway <laughs> well in hindsight you look at it it's just a game <laughs> rabbit hole approaching because this for me it was just something that just landed as we were talking about that and again looping back to that spirituality piece placing your external worth in something like whether or not you've eaten properly or not mm. as opposed to actually be able to tap into your innate worth i think that's where that spirituality piece again for anyone listening i think is just so important to be able to understand that the measure of who you are is not outside of you yeah it's all inside mm. and it all comes back to love mm. hugely yep it's love or fear every single time every single time and you're controlled by a statement controlled by a device you're free in fear of something that's going to happen and when you realize that nothing bad is going to happen, you can come from a place of love. Mm. Absolutely. I'm glad you picked up what I was putting down there because I'm like, this is just coming out and I'm hoping that Jackie's going <laughs> to 
<laughs> yeah perfect yeah perfect always perfect yeah um, so on that point then you're moving away from being a pt i'm still a pt so i haven't i haven't yeah i'm still doing doing it but um yeah yeah go yeah, go on capacity. sorry <laughs> In a different capacity. Mm. Um, so I guess less in the world of being purely conventional or personal trainer. Mm -hmm. What do you see, say, the next six to 12 months looking like in the transition for your business? Oh, that's a really hard one um, because I don't, at the moment, um, my full attention is... Uh, with the epigenetic coaching, so um, and and Cody's business and and working together as a team in that regard. So I'm not sure exactly how how it's all going to look at the moment. Um, uh, but I've just I've just recently been dealing with some downloads about um, how epigenetics and relating that to. Um, like female hormones like cycles and stuff like i have uh, that's just a download like <laughs> um it's just yeah it's just coming to me at the moment but i'm not really sure what it's going to look like or what it, what it means or anything like that so um but i think it's uh it's going to be something to do with um uh alignment like how you can um uh, utilize like utilize your cycle in co like coordination with your effort oh, I, I don't know i don't know how it's gonna look but that's just a download <laughs> that's why i don't know what the next six 12 months will look like because the net the last uh six not not even last three to six months has been just like every week something changes so <laughs> Uh, oh no, Cody's messaging me now. He needs me to pick him up. He's had a photo shoot, so um, I was driving him. So, well, in that case, I'll wrap it up with my one question that I have to ask every podcast. Um, what do you feel it means to live on purpose? Being soul driven and actually coming from a place where everything is in alignment. So everything that you do is out of love for what you want to see in the world. Mm. That's definitely what, what comes across for me. Mm. Love it. Well, I won't hold you up too much longer than Jackie, but if people <laughs> want to get in touch with you, um, how would that be easiest? Um, so just on Facebook, um, my name, Jackie Mink, um, or Instagram, Jack Claire underscore IFBB Pro. Perfect. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thank you for having me on this. This has been amazing. Thank you for tuning in for episode five of the Queen Keys podcast with Jackie Mink. I will be back next week with my interview with Bertan, the mastermind behind Goat Yoga. If you wish to get in touch with me in the meantime, I am available on Jess Cutting via Facebook or Jess Cutting underscore via Instagram. And I will chat to you guys next week. Bye.